0: Well, this week we are, are finishing up our series uh, in uh, first, uh, Second Timothy, and so we are in chapter 4. Feel free to turn your Bibles in that direction, and I'll start by reading today uh, the first uh, eight verses. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul says now, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. You love these lines, don't you? I have fought, a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This last section ends with a bang, and so we, we hear several lines that are, if you're in the, in the Christian church, you, you've heard before, there are things that uh, just kind of resonate with us. There's this, preach the word ready in and out of season, right? Always be prepared to preach the word. We, we talk about that. We, we, we talk about uh, that, there are, uh, that people will go for itching ears. They've got itching ears. They just want to hear something, right? We, we talk about that in the church. And, and then this, this famous line, this, I have fought the good fight, this, you know, a great uh, three lines to say at someone's home going, uh, to, to, to preach these, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And so these are all just powerful lines that Timothy, I mean that Paul leaves Timothy in these last moments. And, and the, the, the first line that I really want to, to talk about is in the middle. It's this line that we just said where Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's, these are powerful, encouraging words to Timothy, These are going to be the last things that, this is the last letter that we know of that that Paul is going to send out, that Timothy's going to read. These are his last words, and in fact, in the last uh, few verses, he says, now, I want you to come to me. He keeps saying that, I want you, Timothy, to come to me. Now, that's no simple thing. Paul is, is holed up in a jail, and his appeals are, uh, have run out. And so he's saying, Timothy, I want you to come see me. And when, that, when he comes to see him, if he comes from Ephesus to Rome, this means he's probably be gone six months to a year in order to make all those travels and make it when the, the shipping lanes are available for him to go and come back. And so he's saying, I want you to come to me. I, I care about you. And I, I know that it looks bad that here I am rotting in jail. And I'm soon going to die, but I want you to be encouraged that although all of these difficult things are happening to me, I want you to know there is hope. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I've kept going. And Timothy, I want you to do the same thing because it's going to get harder for you, not easier. And in doing so, I want you to follow my example. There is a little bit of controversy over these lines. Uh, and, and in fact, John Christendom, they called the, uh, the Golden Tongue Preacher, uh, one of our uh, old patriarchs. He said, I, "I had a hard time understanding this because this doesn't sound exactly like Paul, because if you read it, as we read in the English, and as you can preach and put some enthusiasm behind it, it sounds like Paul has done this work. I have fought." I have run. I have kept the faith. But actually, if you look in the Greek, the the word that comes first in those phrases is is not I have. The The first word that comes is in that first line, good fight. Good fight, I have fought. The race, I have finished. The faith, I have kept. Now, it doesn't sound as good in English. Like you can't really, you know, like that but it's the the proper way to read it. So what he's saying is he is is highlighting not his own accomplishments to make those things happen, but he's saying there is a good race. There is a good fight. There is the faith. These are the things that are important. And I've stayed true to those. I've held on to those things. And so as we look at this text, as we understand what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's helping us understand what it's all about. The emphasis is on fight the emphasis is on race. The emphasis is on faith. Paul loves to, to use these kind of sporting illustrations. He talks about, in other places, running a race again, a, a boxing, and and, and, and about uh, very, very uh, I, I, the, these games associated with the Olympics. <laughs> and so what he's saying is this is the game that you need to play. You need to fight the good fight. You need to run the good race. We... We have different games that help uh, take a picture of what our life, or a good picture of what our life is about. Each of us are playing a game. We, we have an idea of how our life ought to go. And so if we compete according to the rules and the game that is in our minds, we will find success or failure, we'll be encouraged or discouraged by whatever rules that we're following our game that we are following. There was a game growing up that we uh, played called Life. It's still, it's still out there. And so Life, the, bo- the game of Life, is really meant to, as best as possible, reflect like the American idea of what life is about. And so you start out with these little cars. And you, uh, these cars have little holes drilled in them and you have this little person that's about this big with a, head, with a head on it and you stick it in your car. Very American to have your own car. And so you, you start out and you have a certain amount of money and as you go through and you, you, know, you spin the wheel and you, you, you go from one place to the next, it ex- explains what happens to you next. And so the first part of this, uh, of the course, is you getting an education and things that are happening along the way. And then kind of the middle part of the course is higher education, and it's getting a job, and it's having children. And, and so you get uh, sometimes you get little pieces, like you get married, and you get a little pink person or a little blue person to put with it. And then you, then you maybe have two or three kids, and you, you put them, and that fills up the card just nicely. And as you go, you're, you're getting cards that give you a certain amount of money, or it's kind of like Monopoly there's chance cards and community chess cards, and, and th- things go well or things don't go well. You, you, get, you, you get sick or, or you uh, get a promotion. Um, you, you graduate from this kind of school rather than this kind of school, or you don't go to school, you do the vocation. And so it's, it's all these things that are snapshots of kind of the life that we live. And as you are winding through this course, As you get near the end, you can see there's a circle at the end. And and that's where you're really going for, for this awesome retirement. And one of those places that you can go, if you have enough money, you have the right education, is you can live in a mansion. And and of course, it's a little plastic white thing. It doesn't look that great. But you can imagine how awesome it would be if you just play according to the rules and you get kind of lucky and you play the game well, you can one day live in a mansion. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so this is meant to be a reflection of the things that we do. And it becomes how we live our lives, really. I mean, there is a part of us that buys into that whole game. Like, all I'm doing is I, I need my... The next thing is... I've got to get, I've got to do this. I've got to have this certain amount of money. I've got to have, I, I I this next season in life, I need to have, I need to be married, or I need to have children, or I don't need, I I need to have uh, grandchildren, I need to have whatever. And so we have this kind of game that we're playing, and sometimes we're getting depressed because we look at, look at our 401k and we go, I'm not gonna make the mansion, right? or we lose our job, or we have um, marital problems, or we don't have kids, or we don't we don't fill up the little car like we thought we were going to. And so because we think it's all about this life, then we oftentimes, well, we are on the wrong road. But there's another game that's very popular, not like life at all, it's Candy Crush, right? So, you know, people are, are, are addicted to Candy Crush, and you can kind of like, what, do you, what is this thing about? How can you get so excited about disappearing little jewels and stuff, right? But yet, it is addictive, isn't it? And why is it addictive? Because there's, you are winning and losing all the time, and there's this, like, immediate satisfaction. And you have these highs and lows in a, in a very short period of time, and so it is addictive. I mean, even like when I was, when, when I was in college, we were playing Tetris, and like there, you can win all the time and lose all the time, and it is, it's stimulating and distracting. And we become addicted to the Candy Crush. We become addicted to continual stimulus. That's why social media is so popular. It's continued news. It's continued reactions, continued connectedness. We live then for the the next fix, whatever it might be. It it might be as as temporary as like Candy Crush, or the next fix may be coming home and playing Call of Duty for for three hours, or it might be uh, a, a wash in your social media feed. Or maybe it's just getting to the weekend. If I can just, if I can survive to the weekend, then it'll be all right, right? Or it might even be to the, the next vacation or the next sporting season. If I can just get to that next thing, if I can have that next stimulus, I'll be all right. Amen. Am I talking to anybody? And so we have, we have both this thing that desires these quick stimuluses, And we also have another life plan that is this game that we play. But is this the way of God? Or is this the way of the world? When Paul is talking about the kind of race that we are to run, for the people of God, the race we run is more like follow the leader. That's like the easiest game, isn't it? It's like this most simple game. Just follow the leader. But it's also the hardest game to play, right? Amen. Paul is saying, follow the leader. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow the leader. It flows from the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Be leaders and follow the leader, follow Christ. So the game that we are playing, the rules are very simple. Just follow the leader. Do what God is directing. Follow his commands. Follow his ways. Follow the example of Jesus. Listen to the writings of Scripture so that we might be faithful to his instructions and that we might know the rules the pieces, and the parts of the game. Our brother uh, Elijah just read from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul is saying, compete according to the rules. Know the rules. Follow them. And for us, the people of God, our rules are, as, as, our, as, as Trevor was praying just a minute ago, it's about confession and obeying and repentance. This is the normal part, this is the normal part of our way with Christ. The, the rules encourage us in, in prayer, a prayer of God's provision for His restoration, for the power of the spirit in transforming us, for the renewal of our minds and the returning to the guide and following His instructions. These are the way of the game of follow the leader. And so now as you evaluate, am I on the right track, we should not look towards the game of life, which is just where we want to go, or or we don't seek these ongoing stimuluses to make us feel alive in some way. We stop and we say, what is the leader requiring of me? What do you want? And am I being faithful to what you're calling me to do and be? Am I walking in the footsteps of Jesus? So if you're doing, if you're you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, Psalm 23 says that he's going to take you in all kinds of places, right? He's going to take you to, to green pastures, but he's also going to take you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's also going to take you by troubled waters and troubled places, but he's going to deliver you with his great hand of provision. He will be with us, his rod and his staff. They'll comfort us. And so if you're now evaluating your life, you have to say, not am I being successful at work and am I going to end up getting the mansion, but am I successively following the footsteps of Jesus? Am I walking with our Savior? Am I receiving his affection and am I, am I fellowshipping with our Lord? Do I care about the things that God cares about? <clears throat> Here is Paul and he is, he is saying that this work that, that God has given him, that's passing on to Timothy, he's passing on to us. This, this is a kind of wrestling. This is a fight. If you are a follower after Jesus Christ, you are in the fight. There will be opposition along the way. If you are a follower after Jesus Christ, it is a race requiring endurance and direction. If you are going to be a part of the family of God, you must have a faith that clings to Him. The rules of the game means we should just follow after Jesus. They're the one who judges and is watching and will judge. The first few verses say that. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ being the one who will judge the living and the dead. Jesus Christ is watching. What game are you playing? What game are you playing? What game are you competing in? If you watched the Olympics, I saw some wrestling did you ever see that wrestling? And they're like grabbing each other the whole time. I have no idea what's happening. They're just grabbing each other and scoring points. They're like, ah, ah. Uh! I don't know. I don't, even, I don't even know what the rules are. And it looks weird. <clears throat> we need to know what does the Lord requires us? What are the rules? What does God want? He will judge us. But what game are you playing? He says, now, for those whom I'm passing this on. And so Paul is giving it to Timothy. Timothy is really, uh, he is a, uh, a young minister. And so in many ways, this message is for young ministers. So I guarantee when I go, uh, I'm going to hopefully go to Ethiopia in February to a group that we haven't done any training with. I'm preaching out of second Timothy to these young preachers and saying, look, this is what God requires of us. This is the handing down of the, of the work. I'm handing it to you. And so here I am now, receive it, and now I'm passing it to you because we as pastors are to equip the saints for the service. It just doesn't stop here among the pastors and the elders and the worship leaders. The the teaching and the, the work doesn't start with us. We are to be the ones who pass it on to you, to equip you in this kind of service. So when he tells us to preach the word, pastor types, he's telling you preach the word. Be ready in and out of season. And know this, that in the preaching of the Word, this this is the game that you're praying. Preach the Word. Here's the rules. Preach the Word. This is your actions. Preach the Word. Preach the Word because God is watching you, and He's requiring of you to share this Word. Last week, Casey was preaching from 2 Timothy 3.16 that said that the Word of God is God-breathed. And it is profitable for correction, reproof, for exhortation. God is watching. He has given us the words that we might use it for his kingdom's furtherment, for the changing of our hearts and the lives of others. And he says, now be careful that truth will be in less demand in those days, and as I read that, everyone was saying amen, because we understand truth is, is in less demand these days. The, in the time of, it's kind of interesting how uh, history repeats itself, but in the time that Paul is writing, there is a group of people who are in the church who are fighting against Paul specifically. So it's pretty bad, like you're holed up in prison, Your friends have left you, and these guys are back in the church, and they're stirring up all kinds of trouble. And they're stirring up trouble because they have a wrong understanding of what the game is. What they are saying is that the resurrection had already occurred, and that now we were living in the resurrection. And so in living in the resurrection, they understood that things would go from better to better to better to better. And so your life should reflect that. If you are a resurrection kind of person, you are already in glory. You are receiving the benefits of glory. So your life ought to reflect that. You should be getting wiser and wealthier along the way. Does this sound familiar? And so if you have Paul who's in jail, who's wasting away, and the people who are with you saying, you know what? Paul has missed the message. Look at him. The truth is, folks, and this is good news for you, you're only, things are only going to get better. And if you follow this recipe, this is what the game is about. You are going to get the mansion now. If you will believe, if you will trust, if you will work, if you will do, it's the game of life. This is what's coming to you. And Paul, as he's wasting away in jail, says, that's not it follow my example. I have run the race. I have had to endure. I've had, it's been a fight. This is the picture of what the kingdom of God is like. They'll be those who are passion seekers. They are looking to, to scratch the itch. They are looking to satisfy their own desires. The teachers are doing that, and so they preach in such a way so they might have lots of followers, that they might make bigger offerings. They preach in such a way to the, to the passions of the people for, for power, for money, for popularity. By appealing to the passions of the people, they get great followings. There are probably always going to be some churches that are really popular for all the wrong reasons. He says, now, I want you to preach the word because it is useful. It corrects. So this word, corrects, is this idea that someone is going the wrong direction. And so the word of God then says, no, this is the right path. The second word is the word, rebuke. It's for those who have heard the correction and say, I'm not following it. (laughs) And so the rebuke comes and says, you need to be careful because there's a God who judges, and you're called back to this right path. And there's this, also he, he uses the word exhortation or this encouragement that the preacher of God should do this, not because they hope to squash people with rebuke, but they might see the people of God faithful to the things of God and growing. So this is the way we are to handle the Word of God. It should be dear to us. So here's some good news, my friends. Not only will we have opportunity to do that together on Sunday mornings in our Sunday school, also in this time we have uh, in our uh, during our worship service, but also we will have our community groups that are coming up, our gospel community groups. And, and in those groups, what we're going to do is we're going to take the Word of God and we're going to, we're going to rehearse the story, the resurrection story. We're going to rehearse the, the, the story of God's redeeming his people from the very first page to the end. And so we're going to take little snapshots as we go, and we're going to eat a meal together. We're going to fellowship. We're going to talk about this story. We're going to ask questions. We're going to see how the Word of God corrects us. And it'll be an opportunity for us to say together, like, this is what's happening in my life. Correct me in the Word of God. It it is an opportunity for us to have confession and repentance. It is the way that that Paul is talking about here. It is the good race. And finally, he says to activate the Word, to to use it in season and out of season to be ready. After all, it's God-breathed. Can you think of other things that are God-breathed in the Bible? When God creates everything, He speaks. When He he breathes life into Adam, He is breathing. It is the the Word for the Holy Spirit. The the Word of God is His creation for us. (coughs) So use it. (coughs) It is God-breathed. It is for those who are to be faithful. Don't be lazy about applying the Word. It is, uh, it is easy for us <clears throat> to neglect this responsibility. We don't, wanna, we don't want people to feel uncomfortable. We're afraid we might not have the words to say. But I, I guarantee if you continue to rehearse the words of God, if you continue to, to study the Word on a daily basis, as you continue to come and, and participate in Sunday school and in community groups, you'll have a word to say. And we need to be faithful in saying those words and imparting hope, real hope to people as found in his word. Paul says then to to run this race because there is a great reward at the end. There is the crown of righteousness. Now, we want to be careful here. The crown of righteousness isn't for those who just run the race, for for the Pauls in this world. Like, there's not going to be, like, a little group of crowns of righteousness just for, like, these great, guys that we read about or see on TV. No, no. It is a crown of righteousness that's given to all of us. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, he applies his righteousness to us. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Now, God sees the righteousness of his son on you and me. Isn't that crazy? It's like he can't see. (laughs) How How foolish I am at times. He's looking at His Son. We are covered in His righteousness. And so, although kind of underneath that covering, we're really struggling back and forth, but because of the covering, we have the peace of God on us. The crown of righteousness says, not only do you have the covering, but now I've gone underneath the covering and I've transformed you. And now we are righteous. Oh, I can't wait for that day, right? Can, won't it be so nice to get rid of this struggle and for this the, the lack of faithfulness and, 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 and the stupid things that I think and say and the emotions that I have that are wrong, but we will receive the crown of righteousness, not because of our good works, but because of His. The last few verses he gives, it's so personal. I, I don't think there's anything else quite as personal. Maybe as, as David is writing some of the Psalms, but there's so many names and people. He lists a whole group of people now. Tell so-and-so this, you come to me, bring this per- When you come, bring this guy with you and bring me a coat. <laughs> bring me my coat and bring me my, uh, my writings, my documents. Bring me the, the, the box that has all that stuff in it. You know, it's like very, it's like a a phone call that he's having, like, hey, and by the way, (laughs) when you come, could you bring me a Slurpee, because I love, it's been hard in jail. He tells them all these things, and he said, now be watch out, watch out for these guys. You know the trouble they've caused, but come to me, this is the end, it's so personal, and and it's just encouraging to me, it's like this really happened. And just as he has, like, very real things going on in his life, just like you and me. This is not some pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. This is not some ideal or something that's not real. This is planted in real life, in real time. And this is how we are to be. When Paul's saying it's a race, it's not a race like, uh, like the marathon. It's more like one of those relay races where he has run his leg, and now he's giving it to Timothy. Now Timothy has given it to, as in, uh, we see in 2 Timothy 2, he's given it to faithful men, and those faithful men and women have given it to another. If you watch the Olympics, the U.S. seems to always drop the baton. Have you noticed that? And they've passed it on to others. And they've passed it on to others. And now we received it. And now we're looking to whom else we may pass it on. I do want to give you a, a bit of good news and encouragement. As, as we watch our youth, I am going to give a shout out to our youth. This last summer, they have been fantastic. They have been so faithful. They, they've, they've had fun and done youthy kind of things. But they have served. They've served in the nursery. They've served up here on the stage. They've served at at Camp Blessing. They They have been working out their faith. They are receiving the baton, ready to pass it on. And that's who we are to be passing the baton. So, what game are you playing? Are you following the rules? Are you seeing the success through the one who created the game? This isn't a virtual game. This is for real. Our faith is not just a segment of who we are. It is the whole thing. May we be in the same example of Paul who walk, block, and step with our Savior. Maybe you follow the leader. Amen.